Aalto University Podcast. This is Cloud Reachers. I'm Tommy Kauppinen, your host today. And I have a fantastic guest. <laughs> How are you doing? Where are you now? And can you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, Tommy. I'm very happy to be here today. Um, so I'm Fatma. I'm a student from, well, based in Germany right now. I'm originally from Tunisia and I'm studying electrical engineering and doing my master's degree in electrical engineering in Darmstadt. So yeah, yeah. the weather is nice today. We're on a national holiday. It's a good day. To have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, hey, you mentioned uh, about uh, the student um, representation. So, sure, mm-hmm. can you uh, share yeah. the listeners uh, who might not be familiar about it yet? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, sure. The acronym stands for Students in Unite for Representation and uh, Empowerment, and it's basically a student forum. Uh, for the dispatched representation of all the students of um, the United Partner Universities. So um, we try to have at least uh, one student from each United Partner University in Europe. Um, and yeah, so our goal is to represent all of the univers- all of the students of those universities, to empower them. Um, We are committed to the idea that all students should benefit from the developments and uh, teaching models and courses of UNITE. And um, we are also strong believers in uh, sustainability and we condemn all acts of uh, discrimination. Mm -hmm. So those are the main points uh, of basically what SURE stands for. Excellent. I mean, and this is perfect. Uh, In this episode, it would be so good to um, really have a walkthrough on the European University University idea and and um, virtual exchanges and mobility joint programs. Um, how do you see, um, as a student, how do you see all of those and the world we are living at, and and also how how students actually want to learn and how do they learn anyways, even if there are no university? We talked a bit about social media earlier. So yeah. how do you see it? So how students learn, I think it's something that has progressed so much and especially uh, to change basically our whole modes of learning. Um, so I think that shows that we are really resilient as people and as societies also, but especially as students that it's like sponges, you know. When you put us in an environment, we try to absorb everything that's around us and make the most of it. But um, I was talking the other day with my fellow student representatives from Shore, and uh, most of them said that what they wished they would learn more um, in their studies or at university are soft skills and um, how to manage uh, crises for example, or how to manage stress and anxiety and um, workloads and uh, being in um, different environments from the one that we're used to um, in the safe space of a university. 
Um, mm. So yeah, and I think um, it's something that is different from the traditional sense of teaching and learning uh, that has basically not really changed that much from the first days where universities were founded, where academia existed. It's just teachers in a lecture hall telling, giving you some information about a topic that you get to then apply in an exercise or something. So sadly, that's still the most wide, uh, widely taken approach um, in large parts of the world. But um, the fact that there are initiatives like Unite, for example, that are um, trying to hear the voices of students and actively taking them in in the process of making the virtual campus or um, how courses are, uh, are offered. I think that's something really special and something that mm. we are going to benefit from as uh, students. Mm. How do you see, you mentioned about virtual campus, so how do you see um, as a student and of course speaking on behalf of other students, so <laughs> what do you think, what should happen there at the virtual campus? Because we know physical campuses, I mean people having lunches and uh, you mentioned yeah. about lectures, exercises, but what can and should happen at the at the virtual campus, what do you think? So this is also a point that we discussed with Ensure and um, my fellow uh, representatives and I um, wrote down a couple of points for what are the most important things to have in a virtual campus from this point of view. In the top of the list was the constant communication between students and also the constant communication between student body and staff, because I guess mm. that's what that's a point that has been missing in the first uh, year of uh, the corona crisis, I'd say so. Uh, when we had to move from um, physical uh, presence in the ca on, on campus to like a digital kind of format. And um, I think that universities have made um, a big leap in this last year or in these last couple of months of their efforts to digitalize everything, to make everything mm -hmm. available digital online for students. But there's still that communication feeling, that social interaction feeling that has been missing and that uh, students are trying to compensate themselves by uh, joining Clubhouse or being on Discord mm. servers or uh, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that compensation, I guess, is the most important thing so that you don't feel that you're alone passively taking in uh, information in front of a laptop, but that you're... Um, actually interacting with people on the other side of the monitor. So mm. be it in virtual tours or um, using uh, different programs where you also have to move spatially in a virtual setting and uh, to go talk to other people. Um, I think those are like our main ideas about how to uh, keep mm. this communication alive. Mm. Fantastic things, and you mentioned, for example, Clubhouse and and um, and uh, the ability to connect. Anyways, uh, not I mean, it's 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 so many opportunities, and if one feels uh, kind of left uh, outside because of the crisis, because of the pandemic, now it's so many things that one can still still yeah. do. 
what do you think uh, in this pandemic times talking about them? <laughs> so what what works and what doesn't work? You mentioned about the lack of social interaction in many ways, but it can be compensated. But what do you think? What works and what doesn't work? Well, now I'm going to talk from personal experience because uh, I think uh, every and each one of us has been living or experiencing the past two years a bit differently because it depends on the setting that you're living in, where you're living, if you're near family or friends, if you're not. So myself, I sadly have been able to go home only once and one and a half was kind of hard because I used to be home every three to four months. Um, but yeah, my parents got sick on the coronavirus and I wasn't able to visit them, but, um, hopefully they're okay and they're uh, healthy again. But yeah, so I guess the um, one thing that didn't work maybe for me also is the lack of motivation. Mm. So before uh, having the digit, the 100% digital formats of my studies, I had to wake up in the morning go to campus, have coffee with a friend or two, and then go to class. And then we'd meet again at lunch. And then we'd study in the library in the uh, afternoon. And then we'd go out in the evening because we've had such a productive day. Mm. But now, what reason do I have to wake up in the morning if <laughs> I can just watch my classes on video later? You know, yeah. that was uh, the biggest struggle for me at first. And it went on for a couple of weeks or even a month or two. But then mm. I was like, okay, so you have to decide if you want to make this work or not. This is mm. what being in university is really about. You're an adult. You have to take charge <laughs> of your future, of where you're going. And you just have to do it because there's only so much that the university can offer us. They cannot also plant the motivation inside of us. They can offer us tutoring sessions. They can offer us mentoring mm. and people you can talk to, psychological help, but get up and do the work. Mm. Totally. I, I so connect to <laughs> what you said. <laughs> I was just thinking also about what you mentioned earlier, um, that students would like to learn soft skills and this kind of, this kind of uh, solving big uh, problems uh, so something doesn't work and then how to still be able to work it um i mean even now when we are recording this podcast you know that <laughs> when i came here there was some maintenance going on and i had to use perhaps my soft skills to negotiate so i was thinking what do you think uh, would it be a cool idea to um instead of uh, perhaps looking at this i mean al always videos uh, lecture that are record it, um, but then rather ask students to create a podcast of a certain subject and then then learn soft skills and, and how to actually arrange everything, all the production and how to how to prepare it, uh, write the script and perhaps the questions that you want to ask. And of course, uh, one of the guests could be a educator as well there. <laughs> I'm not saying that students should be left alone, but I mean, kind of really trying new ways. What do you think of that? Well, yeah, I mean, trying new ideas and new concepts and new ways is the main thing that keeps us going forward. It's the motor, basically, of all societies. And uh, the teaching society is no different. So 
uh, in new times, we need new ideas. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the for example, the idea about making a podcast um, instead of having the professor hold the lecture, like um, records the video and then upload it later, he can maybe, or they, the professors can um, ask if there are students that would like to take on a subject or two or like to represent mm -hmm. or summarize what has happened and um, in some kind of discussion format with other students maybe or with one educator present and other students uh, mm -hmm. in kind of a bilateral communication uh, kind of dynamic. So mm -hmm. I think that would be something that would help us as students stay on task, stay on the plan and really be motivated and excited to contribute also and not just be passive mm. uh, receivers of information. Um, and that would also touch on the soft skill kind of um, theme that we also kind of discussed a little bit earlier. Uh, and it's about, yeah, how do I run a team? How do I make plans for a certain project? How can I plan a project from a simple idea leading up to the final product? that I want to have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm all up for that. And I think students would get really excited by this idea. Maybe mm -hmm. some of them at first, I mean, you have to understand that a lot of students are kind of not lazy, but they tend to take the safest, most simple route sometimes. But mm -hmm. if you don't make it too complicated for them, if For example, they can borrow the material from uh, the setting, uh, like the studio space from university, and the university gives them mics and recorders and cameras. Mm. I think it would be something very, very um, exciting and new, especially for a generation that has basically grown up with uh, these formats, with podcasts, with videos online, with social media. Mm. Mm. Totally. And this leads me to ask about um, how do you see a, a, what would be a dream university or dream school? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, of course, many of the elements that might be a part of that dream university of the future. But uh, how do you th see it? What would uh, people learn there and how, what skills or attitudes people should learn? You mentioned, of course, sustainability and soft skills and, and yes. but what else? So the first word that came to my mind when you said dream school was literally mobility, just being able to experience new things from other places, other countries, other cultures, other languages even. I mean, I'm, I'm a lover of languages. Learning languages is maybe my the thing I would love mostly to do. So I speak seven languages. <laughs> Wow, which are those languages? Yeah. So I speak four fluently, uh, Arabic, that's my mother tongue, uh, yeah. French, English and German. And I'm intermediate in Spanish and uh, I'm still learning Portuguese and Italian. So basically on the Italian. spectrum of the United Universities kind of. Also wir könnten this auf Deutsch auch haben. Auf Deutsch reden. Yeah. Ou en français, alors, je parle aussi français. Oh, bien. <laughs> oui. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, 
I have kind of five languages. Swedish, um, in addition to what you mentioned, Arabic, I don't <laughs> speak. <laughs> but I then Finnish, well, and then I've been teaching in Italy and, and Spain and, and traveling a lot there. So having wow. a lot of projects with Italians and Spanish people. So I kind of understand newspaper yeah. kind so of materials. Your fellow yeah. language enthusiast. Oh you yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Abs- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I'm exactly like that. Yeah. And uh, by the way, if you want to, um, it's um, I did it. I tried it once. So I, um, I created a clubhouse room with mm-hmm. a title. I speak five languages. Okay. And I got like tens and tens of people joining and uh, talking <laughs> about languages and and sharing how do they learn new languages and sharing what this word or phrase means in another language. It was just fantastic experience. One oh, of my best experiences in Clubhouse, by the way. I'll definitely have to join then. Yeah, you can That's, say that I yeah. speak seven languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, um, maybe I want to go back to mobility. And um, so mobility traditionally is being to physically move one place to another. But with new formats, with new technologies, we do not have to make that, to take that physical journey. We can be mobile from our own home, which is like mobile working in Germany, mobile arbeiten. And uh, I think it's a very enriching experience to be able to see other people and to experience their culture, to experience their way of teaching, their way of learning, mm-hmm. to experience uh, even the simplest things like how they say hello, how they greet each other. Th- that's something that is very fascinating to me, how people interact with each other in other languages and other cultures. But also um, mobility allows us to also grow as humans, to as individuals, because You can think of it this way in statistical terms of having a population where you can not have all the data in, on every single uh, member of that population. But if you take a sample, then the bigger your sample is, the more um, the more representative the data that you collect is. So as an individual, the more people you get to learn, the more people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, different countries you get to meet, then the more representative um, your human understanding of human beings is, basically. Mm -hmm. So if you meet people from a country that you would have never gone to, because it's, I don't know, 5,000 miles away from where you live, then if you meet them online through mobile learning, through a virtual campus, through any of these uh, kind of concepts, then you get to learn a bit more about the culture. You get to be more acceptant, more uh, open to the global citizen idea, mm. which leads us to having maybe hopefully less of a conflict in this world, lead to more peace. Mm. And it's basically one of the biggest ideas in the post-World uh, War II movement uh, in student bodies across of Europe with, for example, the founding of uh, ISEC as a small example. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Totally. You mentioned, I mean, I, um, I see your point and, uh, totally agree. I, I think it's really great idea what you just said about the, about kind of having, um, kind of having to being exposed to crucial amount of people and, and different cultures and different languages to really help you to enrich your understanding. How do you see, um, yeah. I'm just thinking because, of course, physical mobility is, is one thing that we can do and should be doing. But of course, when with COVID, then it's not so easy. Who knows about in the future? But how do you see the role of uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, holograms even? When when do we have? <laughs> when will we have the first holograms to get familiar with other cultures? What do you think? Well, so. Uh holograms virtual reality a couple of years ago that just sounds that would have sounded like something from a science fiction movie you know (laughs) (laughs) totally but i mean it's so many things that are now happening it's like yeah but the progress in technology is insane and the exponential growth is also something that it's difficult to wrap one's mind around sometime but um i think that It would be kind of funny, actually, to have your teacher or a fellow student as a hologram standing in your <laughs> bedroom on <laughs> yeah. in front of your desk. But, um, yeah, I think it's something that when we have all of these technologies available to us, then the most natural thing would be to use them, right? Why would we have yeah. something that we can't use? Why would we mm-hmm. go through the trouble of inventing it and uh, developing it? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it would be a huge step in that direction of keeping the communication alive, of um, having the sense of a community also, that you're not alone, that you get to see a projection of what your campus looks like in real life, for example, mm-hmm. or what your, uh, the lecture hall that you're supposed to be sitting in, for example, looks like. And if every student had their own avatar, like inside <laughs> of the lecture hall, that would be really cool. You get to decide who you're standing next to. And yeah. for example, maybe in breaks, then you get to talk during a five minute break, um, uh, within the lecture, you get to talk to the people that your avatar is sitting next to. That's mm-hmm. cool. Right. Yeah, and perhaps I mean in the near future, avatars are more like us ourselves, so representing really our. Because the problem, as I see with avatars, sometimes it's that they are so generic, or I mean, too specific or too fictional, right? But what yeah. if what if we could be as kind of ourselves as holograms? <laughs> yeah. In the other spaces i think i mean it's it's very close by the way it's uh we have already uh there is already hologram technology which is literally working um and i uh, look at the, look at touch screens like i don't know 15 years ago i mean they didn't really exist nowadays yeah. everything is i mean all the phones are well most of the phones are touch screen based so perhaps same happens with all, all these augmented reality and virtual reality holograms faster yeah. than we might even realize it. Yeah, so you just have to take a full body picture with your phone and then upload it and get your own specific <laughs> hologram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was in uh, I was visiting CERN the other year and uh, they 
took a 3D full scan of me. And uh, I still have the 3D model. And I was I just remembered it a few weeks ago. And uh, then I started to play with it. So I can actually make an animated version of it. <laughs> and, and is it also very accurate, like in the details? It's super accurate, yeah. Wow. It's it's a bit too accurate. So they 3D a printed a mini Tommy. Uh, I mean, like I don't know, like twenty centimeters, something like that. But uh, but I have the full 3D model as well, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's a bit scary <laughs> to look at it. It's, yeah, just uh, yeah. be yourself, your physical self in something yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we can then adjust some things, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kind yeah. of, I mean, same as with uh, influencers in, in social media doing. So they are also adjusting yeah. parts of them to be more like like ideal. Hey, um, I want to um, hear what is um, it? Um, what, can you share some uh, perhaps a turning point or anything that made you think differently, be it about life or studies or future work or anything yeah so uh that's one of the points that um i don't really have to think about because i know exactly what the turning point in my life was <laughs> and i'm lucky to know exactly what that was because it helped me grow on a personal level so much that i'm thankful that it happened even though it wasn't really comfortable at the time um so when i first came to germany I learned German for uh, five months and uh, then I took a language exam to allow me to um, go to a German university. And then when I was in the process of choosing my course of studies, my major, I stumbled upon industrial engineering, a German Wirtschaft study where you have two thirds of an engineering course. Like, uh, for example, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, all civil engineering, and two-thirds of economics and finance courses. So you end up with a four-thirds uh, course or major, which is um, kind of more than the typical, like, engineering courses, you know, um, with the workloads, uh, with the workload. Um And these courses in Germany are, or at the Darmstadt, where I applied, are uh, numerous clauses. That means that you have to have a certain grade in your high school diploma in order to get in. Not every student gets a chance to apply or get in. And I was a very, well, I am trying to say that as humbly as possible. I was a very good student in high school. I was one of the best in my class. And that kind of arrogance made me only consider numerous clauses courses or majors at university because I was like I'm good I want to be able to compete with other good students that were at least as good as me and that was really a very kind of naive and stupid uh, idea to have or a very narrow point of view to view the world that way but then again I was only 19 and I just left my home country And I was going on this big adventure in Europe. So I wasn't really doing it with a very clear and realistic mind. I was just trying to prove something to myself and to prove something to my parents and kind of tell them that they made the right investment, you know, because it costs a lot of money to move mm. from a country to another. 
Um, but yeah, anyway, um, I studied four semesters of uh, this course and I was miserable. I hated finance. I hated economics. That was not the thing that I was meant to be doing. And it's just, it was just not for me. But keeping in with the theme of trying to prove things to people, mostly, and then to myself, I didn't even consider changing my major. I didn't even consider maybe taking a step back, reevaluate. No, if I start something, I have to stick with it and I have to see it through. And then in my first, I had a wake up call. I fell into a depression and I had to see a therapist for a very long time. And when I started my therapy, the main like, well, you have to be going to be miserable your whole life working in an area that you don't like and forcing yourself to love what you do. Or are you finally going to do what you love? And that's kind of the essence of it. Do what you love or love what you do. And in doing what you love, you necessarily end up loving what you do, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And after two years of studying economics with a side of electrical engineering, I made the decision to completely change my major, to just specialize in electrical engineering and I had a lot of basic courses in electrical engineering that uh, I had to uh, take again, basically. Mm. Or not take again, but like uh, I was a fifth semester student taking courses with the first semester uh, electrical engineering uh, students because I didn't have to take them in my first uh, major. So yeah, I was then trying to cram basically a three-year worth of studies and credit points into four semesters because I didn't want to study any longer or mm. invest any more time or more money or having the strain of my visa in my back mind because I'm only allowed to study for a global period of 10 years in Germany, including the master's degree. So yeah, I think that turning point was just, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to stop, reevaluate re and take a different route. It's what makes us grow as humans. And it's okay to admit that you made a mistake. Whoa, thanks for sharing. I, I'm absolutely sure that uh, all the listeners uh, connect directly to that turning point. I mean, all of us had had some struggles in life and uh, whether yeah. we decided to do like you said to just decide to love what you do and then do what you love um or if if some listeners are now still struggling with that then i think that was a great advice yeah thank you <laughs> yeah, i hope that I, was I, not too much <laughs> <laughs> no i i mean i i think i had the exactly the same which led me to do all this multimedia and media, which I absolutely love. And then also study film theory and, um, and you know, philosophy and, and I mean, all sorts of things in addition to computer science and uh, which is fine and I, yeah. I like it and so on, but I never was meant to do only that. So I think it's, it's, 
the stories, narratives, and learning, online learning, um, virtual augmented ways of uh, of sharing those stories. It, it's the thing that I absolutely love <laughs> doing. And it's really great that you get to combine the Grundstudium, if I say so in German, the basic uh, Lego parts of your computer science uh, education with the thing that you you think you're meant to you you're meant to yeah. do, like philosophy or education, and to be able to bring both of those things together is like. You can be happy for life doing your work, you know. Because absolutely, that's, totally. that's amazing. You nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> that that's amazing. It. Yeah, because I mean, uh, I mean, I, I benefit so much also from computer science studies uh, when teaching and doing information visualization, when creating these narratives. But um, because, for example, it's uh, it's it's as you know, we are living in a data society, so. It's very good to have all these skills of for handling data, a lot of observations. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't really see myself doing just that. I mean, doing, you know, very theoretical or even just practical coding without having the story at the end to share what is yeah. what is happening, which I think visualizations and and virtual augmented learning ways. Um, uh, uh, I mean, works super well. Yeah, um, sharing that story. So yeah, so well, maybe thanks. A quick word to our listeners out there, wherever or whatever they're doing with their lives. Just know that the possibilities are endless. Just find what you love and make it work. To like be able to do it for work, basically every day of your life, make money from what you love. And mm -hmm. that way you don't have to work a day in your life because you're going to be loving what you do. So. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Yeah. And, and perhaps also to listeners, um, one thing is that um, you might look at some person that, oh, wow, uh, that's so fantastic, all the results. But always remember that what if that person has had uh, big struggles, really thinking, okay, well, what should she actually study or what should he actually do for work and and then solving this puzzle then suddenly led uh, her or him to do what she truly loves to do and then you now you see all the yeah. results and all the flowers <laughs> all the flourishing but uh there were times that were perhaps not that you know i don't know oh, ideal. <laughs> yeah exactly I, not. absolutely yeah Exactly, exactly. Kind of that's why I also uh, love to ask this, uh, and I absolutely loved your answer. That's so um, so brave and also very valuable advice to all listeners. Um, what do you think? But if we uh, look to the future, so and I want to ask this like a, it's kind of a personal question. So, what are your dreams of after the graduation? So, in this society, uh, what do you want to? accomplish and uh, especially when we are living in a quite complex global world with mm -hmm. so as an engineer my professional aspirations are to be able to contribute to the development of technology i mean i'm an electrical engineer and 
all around us today are electrical appliances, but there's still so much room for growth, for new products to be designed, to be invented, for new materials to be uh, discovered. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of the people that say, I built that. I was like included in the process of making that thing, that new thing that everybody loves now, or that helps so many people, or that teaches children, or that adults or elderly youth to make their lives better, to have them a better quality of life. Um, so that's on a, uh, on a professional level. Um, on a personal level, I would like to be to work in as international setting as possible, to be able in my job to be mobile, to visit different countries, to work ideally in different countries, um, and to get to use the languages that I love. <laughs> so yeah, those are right now. That's the career ideal path that I'm having. I mean, what yeah. you just mentioned is, uh, I think there is a huge need for people like you in the in the world to develop new things and also value communication and be ready to communicate and be ready to work in international settings. I think that's... Yeah. So I, I, I foresee that your dreams will be... Okay. Will be Thank you. Uh, I, yeah, I hope so. And, uh, and I, I think I'm, not, I'm trying to be realistic, even though dreams and being realistic are kind of an oxymore themselves. Like they do not necessarily go together, but it's just that's really what I love to do. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but it's like uh, I mean, I remember when we um, talked. Uh, was it? two or three years ago about po making podcasts and we realized that a lot of people are saying that oh why nobody's doing uh, at, at our university other university podcast and uh, everybody else is doing elsewhere in famous universities podcast and with my friend and co-host Mika J. Lehtonen we just said okay well not anymore true <laughs> so we start just doing it and yeah. then here we are so it's it's kind of it's also how do you read some dreams? I mean, you take the first step, right? Yeah, it's just it's yeah, it's all about starting. I, and I think that the most difficult step is the first step is starting it. Mm -hmm. You know, because before it's just this uh, idea in your head that, and you think if you keep it in your head, then it's safe. It's not going anywhere and you don't share it with people, but not sharing it with people doesn't make it true. I mean, you have to share. Ideas are one of the few things that in sharing, you get more of them. It gets bigger when it's shared, you know? So I think for all the people that have ideas out there, just believe in yourselves and take the first step. Totally. And, uh, Perhaps I should ask out there that the organization shouldn't be afraid of ideas and shouldn't be afraid of uh, people having ideas. Instead, they should really create a culture of innovation where people uh, ideate, they create new ideas, they share ideas openly, and then they combine ideas together. Because the other, other possibility is that 
if an organization or a university doesn't value ideas, then people will find some other channels. And of yeah. course, the worst case is that uh, they don't even want to find those channels. So they just keep the ideas themselves. But in many cases, they, they might actually find online some other channels to bring the idea yeah. forward. So that's very good. Um, what do you think, um, I mean, uh, actually about learning, what did you learn last time and where did it happen? Did you learn it through a book or online or <laughs> virtual reality or holocaust? Uh, so, oh yeah. The last time I learned something was three days ago and I'm taking this new course at university. It's offered for the first time for electrical engineers, which is data science, um, And I know that a lot of computer scientists out there are like experts in data science and know all there is to know about that. But um, I personally was never confronted with uh, the issue and um, I didn't really know what data science was. So I was on YouTube for literally four and a half hours watching videos about the statistic Side of data science, how data is managed, what, uh, how to prove or reject hypotheses. And uh, yeah, I was just kind of submerged in that world of data science on YouTube and on different uh, data scientist forums. So I think, yeah, that's the last time I learned something that's related to academia. And the last time I learned something non-related to academia was um, a couple of weeks ago when I was uh, experiencing some uh, Heimweh, which is the German word for uh, pain for being away from home. Yeah, homesickness, yeah. Yeah, homesickness, basically. Yeah. Um, and I decided to bake some traditional Tunisian pastries. And I've never baked these pastries in my life. I had no idea how to do them. So there, yeah. yeah. Then again, YouTube was my friend and <laughs> guided me on the way to like make successful uh, pastries. So now I can bake. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so good. So, so what I'm hearing now also is that um, students, they of course learn from the, from the lectures given by educators of the home university, um, but they learn from YouTube. They learn from social media they learn from they want to learn i mean they have for example you want to learn those how to make those pastries you have actual internal motivation and then you just find a channel where you yeah. learn it right absolutely yes what does this mean for the future of universities what do you think well i think it would be mm, not naive, but unrealistic to say that we don't need universities anymore, maybe mm -hmm. because people can learn whatever they want online. But the whole process of being a student at a university is in itself a teaching opportunity, is in itself a teaching experience because you are learning with thousands of other people that share the same goals and aspirations to be academics, to be people that can contribute to society, to the scientific society or to the 
a literary society, depending mm. on what you're studying. But I think that universities can benefit certainly from um, everything that's going on online, from all of those communities. They can be themselves part of communities. They can build their own online community. It's like, for example, the one thing that just came to my mind are like the courses that Harvard University uh, offers for free online, you know, for everyone to kind of uh, be able to uh, participate in. Uh, but yeah, so instead of you looking on a forum, maybe you could look on your university's forum for mm. <laughs> those uh, things that you're looking for, that you want to learn. Mm. Totally. I really like that what you said, that, that there are a number of students uh, having at the same time the aspiration. So if we can at the university bring people together like we can, I mean, with evidence, And uh, then perhaps they can, you know, soft skills you mentioned earlier, sustainability, um, all these issues uh, need perhaps some coordinated efforts and meeting deadlines. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, that is one of the things that we can learn at the university: this social pressure that helps to meet yes. meet deadlines. Yeah. Yeah. Group and works also, and social. Yeah. Exactly. And having, I mean, teamwork. Exactly. And knowing people, a lot of and people. And also, I think in universities, there's also that level of hierarchy between, so you have students, you have teaching assistants, and you have professors. And it's basically the same model you would have later in your work life, in your, uh, when you graduate. So, being able to maintain those relationships with a higher hierarchy are also important as a person because you know kind of what to expect later on in your job, even if though there are so many new business models where the hierarchy is flat, is uh, horizontal and not vertical, but still there are a lot of well-established industries that um, apply the same model that's universities apply mm. so i think that's also a very good preparation mm. for your uh, professional life mm. Mm. totally yeah and also what i'm now thinking is also to have a safe space yes. space where people trust each other and uh, and uh, where it's not a big deal if you have some failures with the exams and so on because you can always learn from the failures while in the open wild world Perhaps if you only learn in social media, what if, you know, and then there are some thousands of bots attacking you <laughs> suddenly. Yeah. After your Twitter yeah, message. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So um so good to hear um your perspective um as a student um, and representative of of Sur. Um hey, I have a final question and I ask this uh, from all guests. So, um, as you know, <laughs> the podcast is uh, called Cloud Reachers, cloud meeting mm -hmm. like a dream or can be online as well, something that we are and should be reaching out. So, who or which can be a person or, or organization or project, anything uh, in your mind um, is this kind of a cloud reacher? thus bringing new ideas forward and reaching out clouds and dreaming of something better. 
Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of a Italian Renaissance fan. <laughs> and um, when I heard this question, I thought about two different people. So first, Leonardo da Vinci, which is like, I don't even need to say more about that. And then there's uh, Georges Sand. And Georges Sand is a female French writer that wrote her novels and under a male name. It was in the earlier, earlier 19th century in France where women weren't even allowed to wear male attire. Uh, they needed a special permit that allowed them to wear pants like men. And Georges Sand was one of the first female writers of her time. And one of the art women rights action. Um, so I, I have huge respect for the woman. And I think that she was really brave and literally reaching for clouds in the way that she opposed uh, the system that has been established for literally thousands of years. Wow. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I think that's a that's a big honor to even mention her name uh, and Da Vinci's name in this podcast. I think that <laughs> you you nailed it. Yeah, I hope that wasn't a pretentious answer. <laughs> no, no. And uh, by the way, I'm a big fan of uh, Renaissance as well, Medici and and all the fantastic yeah. what, what happened in Florence and uh, and yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful times, perhaps we are now living, uh, I mean, certainly we are living a renaissance of some yes. sort in education and in the A world. virtual renaissance, if you can <laughs> call it that way. <laughs> totally. Hey, let's have a, another episode on renaissance. <laughs> oh, that would be really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do I'm that. I'm going to and, visit uh, Florence in two weeks. Really? So, no yeah. kidding? Yeah. Okay. I'm okay, really let's... Please share some uh, photos from there. And yeah, I, I, I had a, I had one project um, years ago uh, with Galileo Galilei Museum there. So and then we also visited there. We made a augmented reality <laughs> application for the tourists visiting the museum. And uh, I don't know if it's still in use. Perhaps it is, but uh, <laughs> it was. <laughs> Yeah, please check. Hey, yeah. thanks so much, uh, Fatma. This was a fantastic episode to have you um, joining uh, the Cloud Reachers podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tommy, for having me. This has been an absolute amazing experience for me because this is the first time that I'm going to be speaking online, basically, <laughs> for other people to hear. <laughs> so um, I'm looking Whoa. forward to yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the finished version. Yeah, they love you. So, I mean, they, they will learn from you and uh, they will love you. So I hope so. Thanks. Guaranteed. Yeah. Thanks so much. This was Cloud Reachers episode. Again, stay tuned for more episodes. I'm Tommy Kopin, your host. Um, see you around. Ciao.